The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I feel we've got a good one for you. Of course, we're closing in on the Kentucky Derby. We're closing out. Keeneland had a good couple of days down there, and one of the highlights was a visit to Taylor Made Farm. Uh, Frank Taylor gave me a semi-private tour and a visit with California Chrome because there was a party crasher by the name of Alan Sherman. That's right. Art Sherman's son was there. It was great hanging out with those guys and watching California Chrome uh, kick back uh, in his stall. He was really comfortable there. He looks great. He's held his weight. Then we got to go out into the uh, broodmare band and meet uh, Love the Chase, uh, the dam of California Chrome, who's currently in full, no, not the lucky pulpit, but to none other than North America's leading sire, Tappet. So we're going to be talking with Frank Taylor. It's the 40th anniversary of Taylor Made Farm. And then we're going to talk to one of the smoothest guys in the business. I like to call him the King of Louisville, Byron King, a Louisville native, works for the Daily Racing Forum, another one of those graduates of the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program. He's been a regular on, and he's a regular good handicapper. We're going to look at races, the final stake at Keeneland, the first stake at Churchill. Then we're going down to a graded stakes at Gulfstream, and then all the way out on the West Coast for a turf race that's part of a four-race pick four at Golden Gate Field. So that's how the show lines up. Had another good week using the easy win forms from winningponies.com from coast to coast. Out at Lone Star, just a 20-cent pick six returned $4,702. In the middle of the country at Laurel, a $1 super key paid $3,531. And we continue to win at Laurel with a $1 super that paid $3,054. Good week at Woodbine, too. A $1 super key paid $3,058. And another $1 super key the following day, returned $2,999. So nailing them pretty good. Get your easy win forms, especially as we close in to the Oaks and the Derby and Churchill Downs because you know the pools are big. They won't see your bet, and you can get good odds. Well, some very popular modern people got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Rachel Alexandra, Zenyatta, Steve Asmussen, and Ramon Dominguez. So uh, glad to see them in there. Of course, just a quick rundown. Uh, Rachel Alexandra, she was Horse of the Year and Champion Three-Year-Old Philly in 2009 with a career record of 13-5-0 from 19 starts, earning over 3.4 
million. Don't forget, back in 2009, she had a perfect record in eight starts. She won at seven different tracks that year. What a stellar campaign. Uh, she was just something else. She won the Kentucky Oaks by 20 and a quarter lengths. And don't forget that uh, she defeated Kentucky Derby winner Mine That Bird uh, and then went on to romp in the Mother Goose. She was just something else. And, of course, her contemporary, Zenyatta, who posted a career mark of 19-1 by a nose in the Breeders' Cup Classic from 20 starts. She earned $7.3 million and was Horse of the Year in 2010. She won a total of four Eclipse Awards uh, during her career. Zenyatta just sensational. She got to the races a little late as a three-year-old in 2007, finished with a record of 747, won over $2 million that year. And in 2009, she became the first filly or mare to win the Breeders' Cup Classic and her second straight Eclipse Award for champion older female, pulling down $3.3 million that year. Then it was so nice that they campaigned her as long as they did as a six-year-old. Uh, she went on to have a sensational season, suffered her lone defeat, to blame at the wire in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So she was named Horse of the Year, earned her third consecutive champion older female award. Overall, she won a total of 17 graded stakes, including 13 grade ones. It was so nice, and in these modern times, we got to see them. And, of course, Ramon Dominguez, what a rider he was. Of course, his career was uh, cut short uh, due to a head injury for this native of Caracas, Venezuela. He won 4,985 races, the overall leading rider in New York in 2009, 10, 11, and 12. He won a total of 44 grade one races in his career. And then deservedly so, 50-year-old Steve Asmussen, who ranks second all-time in career wins and fourth in earnings in a training career that began in 1986. And if you see him now, you're going to find it hard to believe that he did, in fact, start his career out as a jockey. He ended up winning the Eclipse Award for Outstanding Trainer in 2008 and 2009. Uh, Asmussen won uh, 555 races back in 2004, surpassing the record that was previously held by Jack Van Berg. And then he went on and broke his own record in 2008 with 621 wins and topped that again in 2009 with 650. So good to see Steve Asmussen uh, making it to the Hall of Fame. Of course, you'll know the name of his biggins, such as Curlin, uh, Regally Ready, My Miss Arulia, Tapazar, and Untappable, those all Breeders' Cup winners. Speaking of the Breeders' Cup, this was kind of inevitable, I think, after Keeneland pulled off their sensational Breeder' Cup presentation. Looks like Churchill Downs decided to get back in the game, and they will. In 2018, they will be the host site for the Breeders' Cup. So the Breeders' Cup returning to Churchill Downs in 2018. That'll be the 35th Breeders' Cup. Hey, how does that date you? Uh, It'll be November 2nd and November 3rd on 2018. Of course, Churchill Downs has hosted the largest Breeders' Cup crowds, the record-breaking two-day attendance figure of 114,000 in 2010, which also set a two-day on-hand handle record 
of 22515000 So coming back to my old Kentucky home. All right, well, I've uh, been keeping track on the Derby horses, um, the final rankings. Uh, I'll just give you the top ten. Gunrunner, Nyquist, Exaggerator, Outwork, Brody's Cause, Creator, Lanny, More Spirit, Mohamen, and Dancing Candy. So uh, we are going to be talking to Byron King about the horses that he was most impressed with in their final preps. Now, speaking of Nyquist, if you're either at Keeneland or at an OTB facility tomorrow or a racetrack near you, uh, if you get there by 2.15 Eastern Standard Time, you're going to get to see Nyquist work out at Keeneland. It's going to be his final work at Keeneland. And in a few days, I do believe that he is going to be uh, shipping over there to uh, Churchill Downs to kind of settle in there. Well, uh, with those uh, horses uh, stated, the uh, ultimate Kentucky Derby ranking will give you the top ten there. Of course, all the top handicappers through uh, HRRN. They got Nyquist at top over Gunrunner, Exaggerator, More Spirit, Brody's Cause, Creator, Mohamen, Outwork, Motime, and Destin, pretty much uh, reflecting the uh, points leaders uh, that that we had. Uh, Moving uh, along... We're going to take a look at some of uh, last week's uh, results. But before we get that, you might be wondering what happened to Swipe. It turns out he underwent surgery to correct a breathing problem. Uh, Last year, of course, he was a runner-up to Nyquist in the Breeders' Cup. He did run in Keeneland's Lexington Stakes, but ended up finishing sixth. He sent away the favorite that day. So uh, the throat surgery will be the second surgery for the son of Birdstone, who had a chip removed after the Breeders' Cup last year. Hope to see him back successfully there. Don't want to leave the girls out. Top 10 point getters for the Oaks. Terra Promessa, Lewis Bay, Land Over Sea, Weep No More, Go Maggie Go, Catherine Sophia, More D'Amour, Venus Valentine, Mo Cat, and Rachel's Valentina. Uh, so congratulations to uh, Julian Le Paru, who became the fifth rider ever to reach 400 wins at Keeneland and our jockey of the week last week Javier Castellano took his show on the road and as we'll tell you in a minute here he won the West Virginia Charlestown Classic it was uh, the 38 Venezuelan won 17 grade one races on the way to winning his third straight Eclipse Award last year as outstanding rider good week for the guy Castellano finished with five wins 21 mounts his mounts earned $933,738. And uh, one last announcement on the breeding front. Looks like Windstar Farm acquired the breeding rights to Kentucky Derby contender Exaggerator, so they'll have their fingers crossed that he does well on that first Saturday in May. Let's go back quickly and look at the races that we handicapped last week. Of course, on Friday, it was the Double Dog Dare at Keeneland, and the winner at 25-1, to 1, Brooklyn's Way. It was good to see veteran trainer Bernie Flint winning a graded stakes race at Keeneland again. Uh, Brooklyn's Way under Robbie Alvarado stalked the pace and then pulled away over heavy favorite Am a Chatterbox. Of course, she was making her four-year-old debut and uh, probably needed the, the race. And the third spot was Ah Chocolate. Then the Dixiana Elkhorn on Saturday 
It was the big hoss. Remember a couple of weeks ago we had Dr. Harvey Diamond on. The big hoss got the job done, a beautiful job by Florent Jarreau. In the uh, second spot was the near favorite, Kaigen, who uh, finished just behind the big horse. And the third spot was Royal Albert Hall, who rallied from last. Then the rich race at Charlestown won one million two hundred fifty thousand on the line. The winner in wire-to-wire fashion was Stanford by two lengths, and chasing right behind Stanford the whole way around was Paige McKinney, and in the third spot was the favorite Donworth. And then we went out to Los Alamitos. It was the Great Lady M, and. The winner in there was the seven finest city, went four wide in a well-timed ride by Kent DeSormo, got the job done, finest city, takes the grade two, Los Alamitos, great lady M. All right, that was a look at the races we highlighted last week. Right now we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the 40th anniversary of TaylorMade Farm. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, as advertised, Frank Taylor from Taylor Made Farm. Had a great time last week taking kind of a private tour with him and Alan Sherman, getting to see California Chrome kick back and getting to see uh, the beautiful farm that they have there in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Of course, uh, last July, uh, the uh, operation bought out co-breeder Steve Coburn's interest in California Chrome, and since then, they have taken over the management of them somewhat in partnership, of course, with Alan and Art Sherman, and uh, since his win... In the 10 million Dubai Cup, he became the richest horse in North America, but they're not done. He's rested, relaxed, and ready to go. Frank, thanks for coming with us on Winning Ponies. Well, glad to be on. Well, you know, uh, 
it was uh, it was many years ago uh, that uh, I received a book in the mail when I was a writer uh, for the Ohio Thoroughbred Magazine that was called The Complete Guide to Breeding and Raising Racehorses. America's Master Horseman tells you how to breed and raise winners, and that Master Horseman was Joseph Lannon Taylor. I guess the 40th anniversary all begins with him. Yeah, he... Um... Uh, he was our mentor, and he taught us everything we knew or, or know today. And um, so he, uh, he he was really a great father and a great teacher. And you know, he uh, he taught a lot of people in the industry. There was uh, a high percentage of the farm managers in Kentucky are either were trained by him or are trained by somebody that he trained. So he had a big impact. Um, he ran Gainesway Farm for forty years, and you know they got up to where they had over fifty stallions at one time. So. He, uh, you know, he had a relationship with about everybody in the business when you're standing that many stallions, and he helped a lot of people get farms started and, and have, you know, a lot of opportunities to uh, help people out because they had so many mares going to Gainesway, they couldn't uh, they couldn't handle them all, so he helped a lot of people start farms, including TaylorMade and, you know, a lot, a lot of big farms. And quite frankly, the complete guide to breeding and raising racehorses has really had an unbelievable shelf life. Uh, I remember going back. I mean, there, he left no stone unturned, literally. Uh, anything from the way a fence should be set properly uh, to the way that you should feed and raise horses uh, from inception uh, to the time that they, that they go to the track. There, there, there was nothing that he didn't cover in that book, and it really is the horseman's Bible. Yeah, people um, talk to me all the time about how... how useful it's been and how practical it is and you know he really never intended to write a book it was just kind of an accident really uh my um, sister was running our uh, intern program at the time and you know we were just bringing young people in from all over the world and working them and training them and kind of doing it um, uh, on the job training and we didn't have a manual or didn't have um, really a textbook so we said uh we got my sister, and he, she just sat down with a recorder and interviewed my dad on all these different subjects. And then we started reading it, and we said, man, you ought to just write a book. So uh, that's how the book came about, and it, it really uh, it turned out to be great, and I think, I think it's really helped, uh, helped a lot of people in the industry. And <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody comes on the staff of TaylorMade, isn't uh, one of their uh, their, their first uh, obligations to read that book from cover to cover? Yeah, we, we that's like part of our training manual. We do that, and uh, we've got a lot of other, other um, things that we use for training, but uh, um, yeah, that that's part of it, and, and it's a great, it's just a great read. It's very practical and has a lot of good, and, and it works well like a, as a reference book. If you have an issue, you can go to the glossary and look up and see. And um, it's kind of interesting. My kids, um, uh, they took some equine classes and, and uh, when they were in school, and, and uh, I think both of them that went, went through that, one of the textbooks was actually that, that book. So <laughs> that's been, uh, been used a lot in a lot of equine programs. Well, he may be the leading sire of all time in Kentucky. You talk about a team. Uh, we're talking about uh, Duncan Taylor, uh, Ben Taylor, Mark Taylor, uh, your, yourself, 
It really is an amazing team effort. And I've got to watch you guys from afar at different levels, and it's amazing. I advise anybody, if they go to one of the sales where TaylorMade is, is to just sit back and observe. I mean, you guys run an amazingly well-oiled machine. Obviously, this starts back with you at the farm, handling the broodmares, the foals, bringing them up, getting the yearlings ready. But to see you guys at the sales, it's just unbelievable how beautiful your horses look, how well-behaved they are, how well-handled they are, and how attentive your staff is to the buyers. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. We um, we really take a lot of pride in um, in trying to put on a good show and and cater to the buyers and <clears throat> cater to the uh, to the sellers and just put on a good show and you know it's um, we've grown to where we're one of the largest in the business and it's um, it really takes uh, a lot of systems in place and a lot of teamwork to, to pull it off. Um, I know when we were working with my dad. I mean, we were we were out there keen on showing the earlings. I was showing the earlings about seven, eight years old, and um, you, you know we'd always have a consignment of you know maybe twenty horses, and it was so much work. And and if you'd have told me at that time, you know, you're going to have a company and sell five hundred at a sale, I'd say there's impossible to do it. But you can do it with the right kind of systems and management and team. You know, it's, you can accomplish a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, um, that's kind of been like been our niche in the business. You know, we we've had success in the stallions and and investments and boarding horses and doing all that. But we've kind of become known to um, <clears throat> for selling horses at public auction. And you know, when we first started, it was um, it was really easy because there was not a lot of customer service and it was a lot of just farm selling their own horses, and they really didn't market them much. They just kind of took them over there and let them back and forth and, and um, showed them to the buyers that showed up, and they, they weren't doing a lot of marketing in those early days. And we we were just kind of came along at the right time and were aggressive and tried to think out of the box and just really do, you know, a lot of customer service. And, and uh, But now today there's a lot of, a lot of uh, so we've kind of helped raise the bar and, 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 and get a better job done in the whole industry for uh, the buyers and the sellers. Well, at the end of the year, though, when the stats come out, uh, you see Taylor made at the top. And I really enjoyed uh, uh, sitting in the office and, and watching the, the video that's made on Taylor made. And it, it's, it's really neat to see how uh, each one of the siblings seems to bring a, a different strength to the team, all of them well needed. Yeah, it was kind of, um, it was kind of, um, Amazing how things just worked out. We all, me and my brothers, we we kind of have uh, different talents and different uh, things we like to do, um, and everybody kind of found their niche, and uh, it just worked out really well. And uh, I think um, one of the reasons we've got along so good is my dad worked us when we were kids together, and we so we were working hard together when we were, you know, five, ten. To right through fish all, all our lives, we were started out working early and and working together. So he, he taught us uh, he taught us to work um, hard and work together. And he always he must have told us ten thousand times so you can accomplish a lot more together than you can apart. So he stressed that we all stay together, and and his advice has definitely paid off. 
Well, we're talking with Frank Taylor from TaylorMade Farm. Let's address it right now to, to that big shining copper horse. I got to see it at your farm last week. Uh, I think that the philosophy that you've taken with California Chrome has, is just fantastic in the way that you handled him after his return to Europe, your investment, your bringing in investors, and the campaign that he's had. I mean, you've got to have a great sense of self-fulfillment in watching what's happened with this horse who could have easily been retired after his three-year-old season. Well, a great horse will make you look great, so uh, that's that's the case here. We, we, um, we've been fortunate enough to to, you know, come up with a plan that, that's actually worked so many times in the horse business, you lay out these plans and and it just doesn't doesn't come together. You know, these horses can be so fragile and things can, can and usually go wrong. But um, it was just, um, we got him back. We bought into him. What we really initially didn't think we were going to race him, and then we got him back here and sent him to Dr. Bramwich, and um, he said that he went all over the horse, x-rayed him, did a this exam, and he basically said, you know, this horse can come back um, uh, fully if he gets some time, and, and he helped us lay out a good good program, and um, and we put it into action, and like in 90 days, he, he gained, um, my dad is always big on feeding a lot and feeding horses, and we really, we were feeding him like four times a day, and, and we put like 190 pounds on him in, uh, in 90 days. And he just looked like a totally different horse. And um, we had uh, Cheryl McQuillan doing all the uh, chiropractic work on him. And Bobby Langley did a great job with his feet. And uh, Alberto Tarasas, our stallion manager, he did a great job, you know, taking care of him. And, and the horse had run, you know, two, three, four, and really never got a, much of a break at all. And had been campaigned hard. And um, he... Uh, Basically, he was sore in his back. His feet were sore, uh, and he um, he had what they call bone bruising. Uh, Doctor Gramley's diagnosed that, and basically, what that is is it's where the bone is not from concussion or overwork of the bone. Basically, it's from a horse being in the stall too much time, like being in the stall twenty three hours a day for an extended period of time, and just going out and training for an hour. They just don't get the natural blood flow that they would get if they're turned out in a pasture and they're walking around and grazing and moving. That's a, that's a natural um, thing for a horse to do, and as they've evolved, they need that to get that, that bone uh, growth and to get that uh, stimulation to the bone. So it, the way we cured Dad was pretty simple, was keep him outside 20 hours a day. And that's what we did. We turned him out. We had him out at night. We were just bringing him up in the day, giving him a bath, you know, picking paint his feet, feeding. And then we were just keeping him out. And he he, um, he just really blossomed. He's out on the grass and just got to be a horse and got some, you know, R&R out there in the paddock. And uh, he just really thrived. And um, then we, um, I flew with him when we took him back to Los Alamitas to... Uh, Arden Allen, and they hadn't seen him for a long time, and everybody that had had seen him out there were fans of him. When they saw him come off the truck, they were just, you know, he looked like a different horse. He just really <laughs> matured, and and he's um, just uh, fantastic. And, well, obviously, um, yeah. 
Well, you know, as Alan stated the other day, you know, that, that those guys learned their lesson from last year, and, and so part of the plan was getting over to Dubai early, brought their own feed, brought their own exercise. Alan was with, it, was with them. And let's face it, Frank, you know this, that if, if a horse is happy, he's going to give you his best. He obviously did winning, you know, the world's richest race, and it looks like you're using the same winning formula right now and bringing them back to TaylorMade, letting them become a horse again, and now I believe in uh, just a week or so, he's going to be heading back to California. Yeah, we, um, it was like phase one, the goal was the Dubai World Cup, and we were targeting, thinking, you know, Alan and Art said, you know, uh, they felt, they feel like the third race off a layoff is usually a horse's best race, or one of his best races, so we kind of picked, uh, <clears throat> looked at the calendar, saw where, set the races up, and and got him out there and got him training, and he, he ran great out there the first race in California, and and we it was just enough time to be able to ship him to Dubai, let him freshen up, rest for 30 days, then running. Uh, he won that prep race over there, and then it was 30 days to the um, to the World Cup, and it, it was just set up timing-wise, and uh, everything just went perfect. He, really, since the day we bought this horse, he has not had a bad day. He's not had temperature. He's not had a lame day. He's not had an abscess. It's just it's been phenomenal that he is he has not had one single thing wrong since the day we bought him, and he seems like he's gotten better. And you know, um, I think Art and Allen really did a great job. Um, you know, when we flew him over there the, to Dubai, there was a, it was a little bit different because Sheikh Mohammed's plane wasn't ready, and he was the only horse flying there, and so we was hired a veterinarian to fly with him and, and he got fluids before he left and then he landed in Amsterdam and he got fluids there and when he landed in Dubai he got fluids there and I, I think it's really important that those horses stay hydrated I think uh, jet lag and dehydration and, and things that's what zaps those horses and uh, and then he um, when he was training over there in Dubai um, the way that's set up over there is you have to walk with him two and a half miles to the to the track, train him a couple miles and then come two and a half miles back to the barn. So he's he was putting in a lot of time, a lot of a lot of distance every day and and Alan was over there watching everything on him and really taking care of him and he's got a his groom Raul, he's just outstanding. Uh he's a, one of the best horsemen I've ever been around and um and he just took great care of him and, and we kept him on a uh a regular regimen of getting fluids over there a couple times a week. And then we use the same thing coming back. So the plans worked really good. It's been amazing. Um, he, um, the day before the World Cup, we weighed him, and he weighed 1,096 pounds. And then uh, he flew back to um, Chicago, and he had to quarantine a couple days there. Then he vanned down to TaylorMade. And he weighed um, a thousand and seventy-five pounds when we got him here, and he's been here um, three weeks now, a little over three weeks, and he's gained seventy pounds back. So, I think he's like <laughs> at eleven hundred and forty-five pounds right now. So um, he's uh, he's got flashback on him. I think he's fully uh, recovered, and um, we were actually going to keep him around here and show him through the Derby to clients and. But he, he put up on so much weight and was, you know, doing so good that we we started counting the days to the to the first prep race. And Alan said, you know, I think we better go on and get him out of here and get so I can get training on him because I 
I don't want to be short of works going into that first prep. So, um, anyway, I'm going to fly with him on Sunday out there, and they'll probably start training on him Monday. All right. Well, you know that he's got a huge fan base. He's got his own web page. Uh, obviously, you know from the number of tours he's had that uh, people just absolutely love this horse and are in his corner. Uh, I can tell you I'm in his corner and Taylor made Farms corner. Frank Taylor, thanks so much for spending the time with us here on Winning Ponies this evening. Okay, well, anytime, and I love your show, and if there's ever anything we can do for you, just let us know. I've got your number. I will. Thanks a lot. We've been talking with Frank Taylor from Taylor Made Farm. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to the king of Louisville, Byron King from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, the king of Louisville. That's right, is a native of Louisville. Uh, Byron King is with us, uh, Kentucky handicapper, columnist with Daily Racing Forum. Seems like every other week we're talking to a graduate of the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program. Of course, uh, the handsome man that he was, uh, he started out as the uh, morning line odds maker, and he was, he was the paddock host uh, for Sam Houston. Uh, and, of course, he does cover races from across the country, but he's a Kentucky guy. Got to spend some time with him in the Keeneland Press Box last week. And uh, with us now, Byron King. Byron, just uh, I'm so sorry to hear the news. It's a shame that you won't be able to use your hoverboard at the Derby this year. I know. It is, it is rather uh, disappointing, isn't it? You know, that's always what I thought about, you know. Uh, so uh, it's... Um you know, it's kind of surprising that the church has to tell someone to not bring their hoverboard to the derby, but I guess there's probably somebody crazy enough to try it. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, please don't bring, uh, you know, an atom bomb to the derby this year. <laughs> you know, what, are they kidding me? But anyhow, uh, Byron, uh, uh, always enjoy your, uh, your your company in the press box uh, up at Keeneland. I just want, kind of want to get your read as we're you know coming up uh, to, to the Kentucky Derby, and I'm, I'm trying to think which Derby preps 
course there were many, uh, had impressed you the most. You were there, Keeneland, uh, for uh, Brody's Cause, quite Im- impressive uh, uh, bluegrass stakes. Of course, uh, Nyquist traveling from California uh, to Gulfstream Park to uh, uh, beat the much-heralded Mohamed. And then we had the... Uh, the the upset in in the Arkansas Derby where it looks like a creator seems to be blossoming at the right time. I only named three preps. There was also you know the Wood Memorial and several others. Uh, which one stood out in Byron King's mind as a, a race that could have uh, perhaps a, a big impact on the first Saturday in May? Well, um, that's a that's a good question, John. Um, I guess let me start with the one that I think will have. Uh, among the least impact, and I would say that would be the bluegrass. I, the reason I say that is it wasn't a particularly fast race relative to the buyer speed figures, and it was a very hot pace in which closers dominated, and the winner of the race, Brody's Cause, who won rather uh, clear-cut fashion, has a real affinity for Keeneland, and though he has a maiden win at Churchill Downs, just kind of think Keeneland is his house, and he got the dream set up and so forth. Um, My man Sam was second in there. Uh, I suppose he might have some means to improve. He had a a wide draw that day, uh, but I wouldn't be too keen to support uh, those those horses uh, in the Kentucky Derby. Similarly, and I, I guess one of the common themes that we saw this year, which was so odd, is that in the overwhelming majority of these last race prep, we had these pace meltdowns. Uh, the Santa Anita Derby was run with a very fast pace. The Arkansas Derby, the bluegrass, the wood, um, although uh, Outward did hold on to win in the wood, he was just barely held off a maiden in Trojan Nation. So you you really had uh, a lot of speed horses collapse, and as a result, I don't think you have nearly as many speed horses in the Kentucky Derby as you would have in the past. Those right. horses didn't earn points. Um, so I think the pace is going to be um, moderate by Derby standards. But in answer to your question, rounding uh, to long-winded answer, but I think uh, I certainly respect uh you know, um, Nyquist, um, I don't think there was a whole lot to the Florida Derby other than Mohamed, and so when Mohamed didn't fire, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what else was in there. Um, you know, certainly respect the horses coming out of the Santa Anita Derby as well. So uh, those would be the preps that I would expect uh, the horses to fare the best from. Um you know, despite the fact that, that Nyquist is, uh, hell, it could be the, this year's American Pharaoh for all we know, uh, coming in the Derby undefeated, uh, he's uh, shown that he can ship from uh, coast to coast. Uh, I guess the only thing he hasn't shown is whether or not he has an affinity for a wet track. Uh, but certainly, again, you, you, you attested to the pace there, but uh, I, I thought Exaggerator was pretty darn impressive in the Santa Anita. He was 16 and a half lengths back early in that race, and now that he has shown that uh, if for some reason it rains on Derby Day, he could be a real threat, and for you writers, you got to love the Keith and Kent DeSormo angle. Yes, uh, certainly, certainly um, he is a major player. I think there's no doubt that things set up favorably for him in the Santa Anita Derby. The pace was incredibly fast uh, and 
he is also a horse that loves the mud, so he got the perfect setup. But having said that, you know, he won by a city block. You know, what did you expect him to win by two? You know, he he certainly ran a great race. It looks to me, this is a horse that used to race a little more prominently. Yeah. And there were some questions about whether they thought he could get the distance. And it looks to me like Kentis Hormos tried to ride him pretty patiently in his last two starts. And um, it in the preceding race before the Santa Anita Derby, the horse made a really impressive run along the inside and then just kind of flattened out a little bit late and was third behind good horses, though, in Dancing Candy and More Spirit. So I think definitely, you know, you have to look at this horse as a contender, uh, regardless of if the mud moved him up. And if it rains, you certainly have to like him even more. Uh, you know, I would put him in that, um, put it this way, I think he's a very legitimate top five uh, horse. And I, I think that um, it's hard to knock him, um, even if you say he loved the slop last time. His other races are pretty nice. You know, he was second in Nyquist to kick off the year and third in his race before the Santa Anita Derby. So he's very honest and shows up and he's by believe Curlin. I'm not staring at the past performances yeah. right now, but, you know, so you would think that the, the distance, he certainly is bred for it, so he's, he's a player. He, he is, and, you know, again, I, I think with the uh, loss of Cupid, I think we lost, a, you know, a speed factor there. Uh, Nyquist uh, looks like, you know, he reminds me a little bit about Exaggerator. He's he's one from off the pace, but he can attend the pace if need be. Uh, and as you just alluded to Exaggerator, if you go back to his running lines, he doesn't normally come from 16 and a half lengths back. Uh, you know, I mean, wire to wire in the Delta jackpot back when he, he was a two-year-old going a mile and a 16th. Um, then you've you've got Dancing Candy in there that looks uh, throw out his last race, but uh, looks to be you know one of the horses that will be attending the pace. But as you alluded to, doesn't look like there's a whole lot of pace. Uh, perhaps Mohamed. Uh, who, who do you see kind of inheriting uh, that first quarter mile and run into the turn on Derby Day? Well, I actually wrote a, um, a piece for a column for the Racing Forum analyzing uh, the pace of the race. And what I see is I see only two what I call principal front runners, and, uh, and being Danzig and Candy, who's only one on the lead. So the way I like to analyze a race when I look at it in terms of how I think it will unfold is I ask myself, if I were the, the, the jockey or the trainer of this horse, how would I want the horse to be ridden? And... I think it's logical to think that they're going to try to replicate a style that worked previously. So in his case, he's only one on the lead. They, so I think they, why try something new in the Kentucky Derby? I think they're going to just have to take their chances on the lead. Now, I certainly don't think they want to go as fast as they did in the Santa Anita Derby. That was a bit of a unique situation. I think the jockeys all kind of got it in their head that either, um, the track was speed favoring or that their horses might not like the, the flop kick back at them. So I think they all went a little too fast. And I think that contributed to Exaggerator being farther off the pace than usual. Uh, Kent DeSormo was one of the few in there that actually 
seemed to have a clock in his head in that particular race, you know. Um, but I think Outwork is going to be really close to Danzig Candy. I think they would prefer to get that kind of sitting in second pressing trip. That's the trip he got in the Wood Memorial. I think Nyquist uh, has been, he won the Florida Derby on the lead, but he's come from off the pace in some of his other races, most notably in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. I kind of yes. see him in that kind of third, fourth kind of range. You know, circumstances dictated that day that he fell further up the pace. He had a bad post and the pace was hot. But I think you're looking at, you know, him stalking those leaders. I don't think he's going to want to get head up with them. He went to the lead in the Florida Derby virtually by default um, because there wasn't a lot of other speed horses. I think you're going to see Destin close to the pace. Uh, and Destin is a horse we really haven't talked about, but well, I kind of am intrigued by in terms of, you know, a horse that's a contender, but in that 12, 15 to 1 range. Uh, this is a horse that won the Tampa Bay Derby. He won two races down there, the Sam F. Davis before it stalking the pace, ran quickly, and I guess the big question with him is we don't know can he carry this uh, brilliance outside of Tampa, or is that just a track he loves? And that's a fair question. But at the same time, I think it's also plausible to perhaps think that this is a horse that's just getting better, which is what happens to three-year-olds at this time of year or can happen. So I think he's a bit of a live long shot. Um, so we'll, um, I think he'll have his work um, yeah, tomorrow, I believe, at Churchill Down so, uh, on Friday. So we'll know a little bit more uh, about him and maybe his, his chances of handling the surface. But I see those horses as kind of in the early mix. Well, it's good because we know we got some stone closers in there. And, uh, it's, and there's uh, a lot of them. I mean, there's yes. probably at least. I would say over half the field is what I would term a closer in this group. I mean, it, it's going to be pretty crowded in the back back there. So um, it it is. Well, th- thanks for your uh, your view on what's going to happen the first Saturday in May. We got some races coming up this week though, and people uh, love to read your column. I know I've cashed a few bets because of the horses you've recommended. Uh, you're a staple uh, at Keeneland and Churchill. Uh, tomorrow we got a race at Keeneland. Uh, we'll start with the Bewitch. It's a grade three for the ladies. Mile and a half on the turf. It was soft today. I kind of handicapped it for a yielding race, but it looks like the weather has cleared up a tad down there. Um, so uh, it, it looks to me like, uh, you know, mile and a half, it's rare, but uh, uh, Song of Ice and Fire and Personal Diary have proven that they can win at a mile and a half. But looking at this race, nobody wants to take the lead, it seems to me. Uh, how do you see this one shaping up? Well, one thing that I find is is that turf racing and dirt racing are so different in terms of how they unfold. Um, it, you know, the advantage of an early lead is, is far diminished in a turf race compared to a dirt race. Um, and it seems that sometimes the slower they go, it almost seems to help the closers. It's like it leaves them within range to potentially out-quicken those other horses. You know who I went with 
was Button Down. Button Down is a filly that, um, a mare, I should say, who's already shown that she can, she likes a course with some give in the ground. She won um, last year on yielding turf in the Cardinal Handicap at Churchill Downs. It would, I should say, it's been rated soft here the last couple days, so I would think something like yielding pretty likely. And though she's a little more accustomed to running a mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter, she was second in a good effort the one time she went a mile and a half. Uh, her one start this year was poor, but it shaped up in a, in a really bizarre uh, run race in terms of, um, number one, she was running against some really good horses, Teppan and Isabella Sings and the Hillsboro Stakes at Tampa, but that was a race in which the runner-up, Isabella Sings, went out and went 45 and change, 109 and change, and was literally up like 15 or 20 lengths. Uh, and nearly held off Teppan. But I think it it was just run so differently than a traditional dirt race that I'm willing to forgive her fifth-place finish. So she's where I'm leaning, but this, John, as you mentioned, is a real head-scratcher of a race. Well, again, uh, I hope great minds think alike because the horse that I have an X by is the British bred uh, button-down um, the second race back, this horse runs consistent figures, and uh, it's no disgrace losing to a great horse like Teppen. Well, uh, down in uh, Louisville, where you're from, we drew a very short field for the first stake of the year. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I forget how to say it, Tayez on ice. Um, I'm not up on my hockey players. Bob Baffert coming in, I think he's realized that he's kind of got a golden sense uh, and not an American pharaoh, and he decided to turn back to sprints with this horse. Looks like the one to beat, Sheik of Sheiks, looks like the biggest threat. That's kind of how I thought. I ended up going with Sheik of Sheiks, and I based this decision on the fact that I think Wesley Ward, who trains this horse, has shown a lot of confidence in this cult, even though, you know, he's winless in two starts this year. Here's a horse that won a stake uh, that was on the undercard of the Breeders' Cup um, last year. And then to kick off the year, he ran him, and he was third behind Awesome Banner, who was a really good early-year sprinter in, in Florida. And then a month later, he said, Let's ship out to California and run in the San Vicente Stakes against Nyquist, an exaggerator. Uh, And though it didn't work out, um, he ran fourth. I think the mere fact that he elected to do that, to me, says he's not lacking confidence in this horse's ability to go out there and run against horses like that. Um, So I think he views them... Clearly, as a sprinter, that was the seven furlong race that we alluded to a little earlier in the show uh, that Nyquist kicked off the year in. So I think this is an interesting horse that obviously is well-regarded and I think on at his best and the fact that he, he did at least pass one horse uh, from a pressing position when he won his stakes race last year is a plus as well because although this race only has five horses, four of them all want to go to the lead or real close to the lead. So um, it's uh, it, it's um, quite loaded with speed for the six furlong, furlong William Walker. 
Well, uh, it looks like uh, my producer's telling me I only got four minutes. We'll see if we can get two races in. If not, th- that'll happen. Gulfstream Park, the Miami Mile, a grade three. I've settled in on Middleburg. Uh, Christopher Clement, who's a great turf uh, uh, trainer. This horse loves Gulfstream Park, has an excellent uh, record on not only Gulfstream, but at this one-mile distance. I think the horse I'm going to hook it up with is Smoking Kitten. They took the blinkers off this lightly raced Kitten's Joy and ended up getting a new track record at Gulfstream last time out. Yes, I, I agree with you about Middleburg. I think Middleburg is class of the race. He hasn't uh, started for, for a while, but he, I believe he is the class. And uh, another horse that I like in there that might be a good exotics candidate is Hoff Thursel, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, Hoff Thursel. Um, and then, as I mentioned, uh, Smoking Kitten was my third, uh, or as you mentioned, I should say, Smoking Kitten was my third choice. Now, he did set a track record last time, but I should point out that the pace was insanely fast, and and the pace I've found of turf races is, is very uh, can influence the final time a great deal. Um, so uh, I'm not sure... Certainly he was impressive, but I'm not quite sold on him just yet. So I have him in third behind Middleburg and Ossersel. All right. I know it's a quick one, but we've got two minutes. But I think you handicapped the uh, San Francisco Mile at Golden Gate. Uh, it could be uh, Gigi Ryder against Alert Bay again. But this uh, Bali uh, is a new player. They're throwing blinkers on this horse. This horse won the Brazilian Triple Crown. Uh, an interesting group uh, going to post in the, the San Francisco Mile. Who floated to the top for Byron King? Well, actually, I'm going with a price horse in there. Uh, I kind of saw some of the favorites in that race as being um, potentially vulnerable because they drew way on the outside. So uh, my my play in there, and I do not have the past performances right in front of me. I'm trying to call them up as we speak, but um, Neil Drysdale's horse that has just won, maybe you can help me on the name of this horse. Montego uh, Bay with Drayden yeah. Van Dyke. Exactly, that's the horse. Um, he's like 12 to 1. He's coming out of claiming victories, but he's a horse that wins. He's got pretty good figures. He's drawn, I believe, in post 5. And the other favorites are like, you know, 11, 12, 13 in a 14 horse field going a mile with a short run to the turn. So maybe they get hung out, and maybe this horse has some uh, long shot appeal. And maybe Byron King just gave us a nice way to get some change in our pocket before we head off to the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. Well, Byron, as always, you're smooth as silk. I love having you on as a guest. I think you're a a genuine guy. I know you love your kids. You're a basketball coach. You do it all down there. And I hope our paths will cross Sands Hoverboard on the Churchill Downs backstretch sometime this week. You know, I don't think they said you can't take it on the backstretch. So there you go. We might have to try that. You and me zooming around, man. (laughs) I don't know one would hold me, but I'll keep an eye out for you. All right, buddy. Well, I look forward to seeing you, and uh, best to all your listeners. 
Okay, we've been talking to Byron King, uh, handicapper columnist for the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, definitely want to thank Frank Taylor uh, for his insights into the 40th year of Taylor Made Farm. Want to thank you for listening. Want to remind you the big races are coming up. Get those easy win forms at Winning Ponies. There's some great information up there. It's going to get you to the winner's circle. Well, hey, I'm back in my chair. I'm looking across the manicured turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky and I'm Here to remind you, when you get to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.